I am introducing a new character in episode five. Of six. Okay. Oh, of six. Oh, I get it now. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Out of the six, of, I'm bringing a brand new character in the, in the next to last episode. Well, you know, hey, it, it has worked before. As I put on Facebook, I, it's probably stupid, but I love I, I love this, the, the bit that I wrote that you do it, and I think it works for the show. It's probably a failure, oh. but I'm sticking to my guns on this one. Well, to me, it seems more like, uh, you know how they say, oh, you're closing the barn door after the horses have run away? I feel it's more like you left the barn door open, the horses ran away, you slammed it shut in the face of the last horse, and then the last <laughs> horse said, hey... And you open it up and go, oh, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Ready to have some fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a voice saying, yeah, I haven't had any so far. Let's see. Oh, jeez. <laughs> season three. Manana. Season three. Manana. Somebody hits it. Season three. Manana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we. It's the Slumgullion. We're still booking ghosts on the Slumgullion. You're not getting ghosts on the Slumgullion. And welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I'm half your host, Scott. The other half of the host is Hellifino, somewhere out there in the world. Oh, you decided to call in. I don't have to play Where's Waldo to get you this time. Hello, Jeff. Other Wheaties this morning. Jesus. It's it. You know how hard it is keeping track of you. And your perambulations. Do you know how hard it is? Do you know how hard it is not having a home? I'm just saying I have to keep going places to sleep. Come on. You don't have to go to, like, Turkey. Hey, hey, hey. Turkey was fun. Coosbane was a little funnier. Just so you all know, um, today I am it. I believe it's a dairy farm somewhere in New York. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure there is a part, some kind of party going on. There is a shit ton of half-naked, sweaty people here. On the plus side, there are a lot of drugs. On the downside, there is a lot of nudity, and these people should not be nude. The plus side, there's a lot of drugs, so hey. Just don't take the brown acid. Oh, no, 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 no. Somebody just passed me a bowl, so I'm, um, the, the boys are, the boys are with me in spirit, so, so, so I am good. Didn't you say that, um, we were going to have a guest on this episode? Yeah, I was going to get to it before you went back in time to 1969. Wait, what? Oh, oh, shit. I actually thought I was in 1974. Oh, shit. So I'm actually at the... Oh, man. Okay, that explains why the weed is so much better. Okay, I understand a lot now. Oh, this is going to be fun. Okay. <laughs> we have a guest, right? Yeah, give my regards to Country Joe and the Fish. We have a guest joining... Elliot. No, not our guest, but who's our guest? I'm sorry, I just saw Cass Elliot. Oh, holy shit. Well, get her on, on. Get her on mic if you can. I, 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 I don't think I can. Oh, oh, she's guarding a sandwich. Never mind. Go on. Oh, I was hoping you weren't going to go to the sandwich. And right first I thing, you didn't there. even work up to yes. it. Went right I to the went sandwich. There. I admit that, hey, if, hey, if Scooby-Doo can do it, so can I. That's all there is to it. Anyway, moving on. Who's on the show? Our guest today is author, artist, musician, Steve Van Sampson. Welcome, Steve. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, yes, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be back on uh, the Slumgullion, 
whatever in the hell that is. Were you uh, on the sadly, show before? Uh, uh, well, uh, perhaps per, uh, in in one of my guises, I was yes. Uh, but that was that was a reconnaissance mission because, well, I think I'll just come out with it all. I have a confession to make tonight. You see, these off these authorly trappings are but smoke and mirrors. This meager what? Van Samson identity, simply one of many I have donned over these vast millennia I have spent crossing the multiverse. Perhaps, Scott and Jeff, your fans would know me by another name. No, it is no, no, time. No, 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 It's time, Dick! Time that I reveal myself at last. No, 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 no. Yes. Yes. Scott, 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 help me. Help me, please. Help me, please. Um, um, no, no. Okay, I'm gonna, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving. Uh, bye. <laughs> no, stop. Come back. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, Scott. Thanks a whole fucking lot. Well, yeah, I can't help but feel that you brought this on yourself, Jeff. No, 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 no. Oh, my God, is that Jimi Hendrix? Enough of this tomfoolery. Say my name, the one that is Jeff. Say my name. You are time ditch. Yes, it is I. Time dick. The are parent. you happy now? The dickiest. I am here on behalf. I'm pontificating. Pontificating, excuse me. I am here on behalf of the Time Variance Authority. Oh. oh, now hang on a minute. If this is about the goddamn Thanos Infinity Glove, I will we apologize no, for that. Come on, it was the so reasons thick. that have brought me here tonight. Oh, Jeff, they are all your machinations, your doing. You have brought me here. Scott was right. This is all your fault. So we at the TVA, we have been monitoring the Slum Gully for millennia. Yes, across trillions of various separate timelines. Bet you didn't know that. That's a feather in your cap if you want to take that. No, it's it's really bumped up our listener numbers. Thank you. Well, it, it's it's inconsequential and totally accidental. But you know, yeah. You no, no, we're we're forget. we're hoping we might get a sponsor, maybe like Squarespace or something. I mean, we're really getting noticed. So thanks for um, Hormel, Hormel Chili. I want Hormel Chili right now. Before you thank me, Scott and Jeff, mm. you should know that initially my job was simply to make sure. That the slum gullion stayed at a reasonable length. Like, you know. I like your book, you bastard! <laughs> I mean, around an hour was pretty much fine. But eventually, though, the antics of the one called Jeff, 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 became increasingly bizarre. And more importantly, a threat to the sacred timeline itself. No, no, not true, not true. I have done nothing wrong. Well, that's so, not true. Hey, don't help, Scott. So, I say, steamrolling over what Jeff just said, in order to prevent cataclysmic disaster, he who is Jeff needed to be dealt with. And so mm -hmm. it happened that I, Time Dick, <laughs> tracked Jeff from Dullsville, Pennsylvania, to an undisclosed location in the American Midwest, where I nearly nabbed him whilst posing as an irate marijuana farmer. That you was guys, you? you guys remember that? That was me. Oh my god, I thought I smelled cumin and shame. Yeah, they would, well, it was my shame and my cumin. Next, I followed the skunky trail to a seedy bar in Turkey, where Jeff eluded capture a second time, but only by pummeling me, time dick. 
with hot, crispy falafels. How he knew my one weakness, I never learned. But a few weeks later, I caught up with a slippery one again. This time, you know it. It was on the planet Coos, babe. Where I lost him in a series of subterranean tunnels, somewhere past Dom DeLuise's bones. What can I say? I know how to dig, and they were everywhere. What can you do? At least it wasn't Cass Elliot. That's all I'm saying. That's true. So I'm not going to ask you if you can dig it. Because <laughs> I know you can. I already know you can. But now, now you guys, time dig. <laughs> That's me. Is here on the Slum Gullion itself once again, in an official TVA capacity, and with the help of my trusty Samoplan. Ow, 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 ow. Yes, pain. it hurts. That it pain. hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. Yes. That yes. Really hurts. Ow, ow, uh, ow, Sorry, ow, just took a second to get right. it working there. There will be no escape motion, for you, Oh, my God, Jeff. this hurts. This hurts. Scott, do say, say something, please. Ow, ow, ow. Uh, ow where, this, hurts. Where, this hurts. This hurts. Where could a person get one of those Samo flanges? Uh, they got them uh, just laying around all over Third Earth. Uh, oh, now, hurts. Jeff. Jeff. Hear your list of crimes. And despair. Ow. Jeff Holland, by the sacred laws of the Time Variance Authority, you stand accused of the following crimes. Oh, shit, the skirts. Okay, we'll just turn the samoflange off for a second there. Okay. All right, you ready for your crimes, you you woeful guy? All right, (laughs) what? What? Evading what? arrest is the first one. Evading arrest. You've de- definitely done that. Don't don't even try to deny that. Okay, okay. that's a fair cop. That's a fair okay, cop. Uh, puns. There's been that's puns. A fair cop. That's Wearing a fair Paisley cop. print hammer pants after Arbor Day. Pummeling an Only official TEA agent with hot crispy falafels. You deserved it. Failing to. <laughs> Failing to ask even a single question about the cinematic masterpiece Project Metal Beast that one time that Barry Bostwick was a guest on the Mike and Ike show, you fool! All right, all right, that's it. That's it. You know what? You know what? I'm not done. I'm not done. Shut it or the devil finds goes back on. Go ahead. What else have I done? Suggesting that edibles be considered a vegetable, naming certain paraphernalia after. A beloved luck dragon without a permit. Uh, the next one just says socks and crocs. I'm not sure. Uh, claiming that the special effects in 2010's Birdemic Shock and Terror were, quote, not that bad and not worse than the acting. And finally. For traveling back to the year 1966 where after smoking a bowl, two pitchers, and a chafing dish, you managed to convince a mild-mannered fertilizer salesman by the name of (laughs) Harold P. Warren to make the worst movie that has or will ever come out of El Paso. Now, Jeff, how do you plead? Oh, I plead guilty, you motherfucker. I did it. 
I admit it. Yeah, I, you know, getting, losing the house got me angry. I admit it. It made me bitter. It made me evil. It made me want to change things. So I found the damn Infinity Glove again. That's right, Scott. How's that for a fucking callback? And I used it. I used it. I fucking made Manos the hands of fate. I went to Ken Finkelman and said, you know what would be funny? A really funny version, a spoof of Grease, and call it and make it a sequel. Write it while you're riding airplane too. It'll be good. That's right. I'm the one who said to Keanu Reeves, you know what? Johnny Mnemonic might be a fun movie. I did all of that shit because I wanted to create chaos. And you know what? I would have gotten away with it too. Silence! For these crimes, you're sentenced. Ow. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, out before you do anything. I don't want to get pruned. I can feel pruning. I got By virtue of now. the Time Variance Authority, you wait, are hereby wait, ordered wait, to wait, suffer wait, the agony wait, of 1,000 years of torture. This wait. sentence is to be carried out immediately. Wait, it will, Mr. Uh, enough of your prattle. It will be condensed into the span of one human heartbeat and will occur only in the confines of your own mind. Oh, shit. Now, before we begin, yes. does the condemned have any last words? Yes, 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 I do. Well, then save him for the end of the show, Jeff. No, 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 no. I, I, I have, he wants to do this now. This Let may, the one called be a Jeff, show. the one called Jeff, speak, Jeff, or forever hold your peace. Okay, I only have, before, before this becomes a one-person show, Scott, I just want to say, it's been a pleasure. It would have been nice to actually meet you in person. That would have been nice, yeah. Tell Mrs. C she's great. And before I go, I just have one question. Steve, time deck. Or Sergeant Bat Guano, if that is indeed your name. It's not. Don't you have a book that just came out? Scott, didn't you read the book? Yeah, I did. Uh, those are going to be your last words, though, huh? A, a, a commercial for his book? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think I'll allow it. Uh, oh. Well, you guys, you guys want to talk about... Uh, my book or something? I, I really liked it. I, yeah, I'd like to chat. Horace book. He has a new book out. And I mean, I, I, I did, even though I fucking hate it now, I love the one of yours that I read. No, oh, I mean, uh, 50% is pretty good. Uh, uh, I, well, I, I suppose we could prolong this sentence. Because or, I've been traveling about time, but you know full well. I yeah. told you that I love yeah. that book. Come oh, well, I, I do man. feel like a slice of bread being thoroughly buttered right now, but <laughs> honestly, I think I'll allow that, too. Yeah, I, I guess we could talk about my book if you guys want to. We'll just forget the whole sentencing thing, and yeah, just, just forget I said anything. It's fine. You, yeah, you, uh, you guys talk about the book for a minute. I'm going to sit here, and it looks like Jimi Hendrix is about to perform, so you go ahead and talk about the book, and I'm going to sit here and smoke a bowl of Himalayan hippocampus humper while you are whoring the book. So you guys, I'll, I'll throw in appropriate okay. witty comments. Go ahead, whore. Whore away. You well, have a book. What's the book called? I just I just feel like if, if the, the punishment... A thousand years or no is going to take place in a single human heartbeat inside his own mind. I, I feel like we could kill two birds with one stone. We could talk about the book and then he could just have his punishment. Get that out of the way. Get it out of the way. Don't have All it right. hanging over your head. Let's see. The, the button's really shiny and calling my name anyway. Let me just press this thing. Uh, we'll just, it'll, you know what? You know what? Yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. Just uh, let's, uh, all right, here we go.
This is where you scream. <laughs> yes, the screaming. Yes, the screaming. <laughs> oh, my God, it tickles. It tickles so much. <laughs> and that's it. And we're done. Oh, God. I can see why people don't really respect the Time Variance Authority. Well, you know, it's uh, it's not about the respect. It's about uh, the dental plan. <laughs> oh, gotcha. my God. Okay, okay. Go ahead and talk about the book. I'll be back in two minutes. I see a jet ski. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, if the uh, ten-dimensional being that took over your body briefly has decided to take a powder, perhaps we could discuss something of yours that you were involved yeah, in. Yeah, I, I just, the Van Sampson thing, we can put it back on like a coat. It's fine. Uh, it's, like, it's... I took it, I shirked it, and now I'll just pick it back up. It's on my shoulders. So if, if the one called Jeff gets out of line, I can just shirk it again. We're good to okay. go. Gotcha. Okay. All right, well. When Steve was last on the show, episode yes. 57, if you guys want to look that up, we were discussing his series Predator World, which is, to my mind, one of the finest and most entertaining neo-pulp pastiches, or revivals, if you will, that I've read probably in the past 15 years. Thank you, sir. The That's... two books are The Bone Eater King and... Marrow Dust. Thank you. I knew it was a scary, vaguely disgusting name. It's two words. I knew it was words. Yeah, uh, there were letters involved mm -hmm. from the English alphabet. So this is a bit of a departure in some ways. It is. And I got to say, nice range. You got some nice range. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Uh, Predator World was basically like a, like a modern sort of dystopian vampire series that took place in Africa. Very, right. very unusual for a modern novel. But certainly in the in the uh, pulp stories that inspired you, Africa was frequently a location. I'm glad to see it getting its due again. This one is a little more, slightly more traditional in that it's a, uh, I don't know, would you consider this high fantasy? I don't like the term high fantasy. I think when I think high fantasy, I think like, you know, people are shooting out magic missiles. Mm -hmm. There's elves, there's dwarves, there's, you know you know, kingdoms and castles and stuff. And Basically, somebody some somebody picked that. up the Silmarillion, turned it up upside down and shook it. Right. And this, this to me, I tried to write something that would be called dark fantasy. Uh, everything's subjective, even genre. Um, I consider it to be dark fantasy. I've heard uh, different opinions on what, what genre it is. I think dark fantasy works. I think sword and sorcery also works because, you know, again, I go back to... Robert E. Howard, just, mm -hmm. just kind of like with Predator World, where, you know, I, I really just really enjoy his old stories. And he's, of course, uh, the guy who, you know, wrote all the original Conan stuff. But he wrote a lot of different things. But this really was my Conan book. The germ of the idea is like, I want a, I want a roving adventurer who's going through this fantasy landscape that's very visceral and very real without, like, people shooting magic spells. There's, like, not... There's some unexplainable stuff, but there isn't like magic magic. There's no, you know, you know what two words I dislike? Magic system. What, what's your magic system like? <laughs> I don't have a magic system in this. It doesn't exist. There's references to alchemy instead. That's um, what I really noticed and liked up front. That the wanderer, the quester, mm -hmm. who we meet early on. Yes. 
meets the, this this character who does the closest thing to magic that people do. I mean that the the first thing he basically does when they meet seems very magical. The mm-hmm. the dust. Yes. Although there's a so-called scientific explanation for it. And so uh, Randra Belmorn, who's our hero, continually calls him a wizard. And he insists he's an alchemist, which I liked because alchemy is, you know, next door. It's the poor relation of science. Right. It's in some ways the beginning. I mean, hell, Isaac Newton practiced alchemy. Didn't get anywhere with it, but still. I think that the confusion of genre is actually deeper than that. Because one of the things I love about the book, and let's just get the title in there, Mark of the Witch Worm. Yes. Worm with a Y. Yes. That's the best spelling of worm in my well, opinion. Well, it's, it's Germanic, so mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah. But the, you gotta the, love it. I, absolutely. And the thing, I, the thing I loved most was that it opens up, again, there's, there's a guy on a road, on a quest, and trying to not to get distracted by the various adventures beckoning from either side of the road. He's got a mission. He's on it. We don't know exactly what it is at this point, but he's very determined. And the way the book unfolds is almost structured like a mystery more than a quest. The way the exposition is delivered and the way we learn things is very subtle and very interesting. And once and you keep reading, trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Not that it's confusing. But once you think you've got a handle on it, you realize, eh, that's not exactly what's going on. And once you think you know who someone is, you realize, eh, they're not, that's not really who they are. Or that's not all they are. Right. So I do like the way the information plays out, the story unfolds. It doesn't have that, that stentorian, bombastic feel of a lot of fantasy books. And I, uh, to be honest, that feel is what kind of turned me off fantasy after a while. It just mm. There's only so much of it you can take. But... This has a, a very contemporary feel, not in the setting, but in the storytelling, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it, great. It doesn't seem to be beholden to all those tropes which encrust the genre and make it so unwieldy nowadays. Right. And I think, like, that's kind of what I tried to do with uh, all of my three novels, for sure, is uh, to take something that's, you know, partially very familiar. Predator World is, like, not that far from a zombie apocalypse book right not in concept right so Mm -hmm. and it's like all right well let's change it a little bit let's do vampires instead of zombies but let's we're gonna do vampires let's change the vampires let's change the setting let's take some stuff that you know and then tweak the rest and you know hopefully it ends up feeling fresh and has its own identity and that's certainly what i tried to do where i'm deconstructing the genre of fantasy and trying to figure out like okay well what's my fantasy look like what you know what are the things i do like about it because when I was a kid, I think that fantasy was my favorite genre, period, mm-hmm. for anything. And as I've, I think that now it's like not even close to one of my favorites. Oh man, I think uh, I think what's oh. uh, like is getting hang really on, nuts. hang on, hang on, hang on. Sorry, Did sorry, Hendrix sorry, just sorry. go on? Is it is it that late already? It's uh, yeah, Grace. Grace Slick just finished performing. Um, oh, she nice. just sang White Rabbit. Nice. Now everyone's kind of partying right now. I don't gotcha. know where my shoe, Carol. Have you seen my shoe? Uh, I'm gonna get find this guy's shoe. Hang on, I'm gonna try and walk away from the bathroom here. Hey, dude, here's your shoe. That's not mine, but good job, man. Enjoy the shoe. Enjoy the shoe. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over to a. There's a shower over here that nobody at all is using, so I'm gonna walk over here. Go ahead and continue. Was that a, was that a really really big shoe? 
It's a really, really, really big issue. Go ahead. You guys continue. I'm, I'm walking away now. It's all good. For our uh, younger listeners, that was an Ed Sullivan Show reference. It was. For our younger listeners, Ed Sullivan Show was a show. It was. Although I think I might be the youngest uh, member of your audience, Scott. And I'm in my 40s. Oh, so good. Okay, dude, stop that. Stop that. Come on now. Come on, man. It's not that kind of show. I gave him a shoe, for God's sake, and that's what we were preaching. I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I apologize. Go ahead. You have to put the shoe on the sock. You don't take the sock off and then use it. Keep the sock on the foot. Put the Put the freaking shoe on the sock. What? Fuck it, we'll buy a new one. Fuck it, we'll make a new one. Okay, yeah, the bathroom here is getting a little bit busy here. Um, I, I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to do something here. I will be right back in a second. You guys keep talking. I'll be back. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, uh, deconstruction of the fantasy genre, it was my favorite genre at one point, and then I kind of, you know, I got sick of it, basically. Right. And and for the same things that you were alluding to, things started to sort of repeat each other too much. Mm -hmm. So for this, like, one of the things, you know, I said is, all right, well, I don't want, like, a ton of different non-human races. I said from the beginning, I'm not going to do elves. There's no elves. There's no dwarves. Get them right out of there. They're just overdone. And I said, all right, well, it, at first I was thinking I was only going to do, do humans. And then it came to a point where I'm like, well, I think I could really use another race. And I said, all right, I'm only going to use trolls. But even then, it's going to be a different take than you're used to. So, you know, I wanted to look back to the origins of trolls. And, you know, a lot of those races are all from Tolkien. And then he got them from Norse mythology. mythology and, mm -hmm. you know, right. So trolls, same thing. And there's a lot of different types of trolls. I don't know if you've seen the movie Troll Hunter, but they played with that. There's like, there's species, there's all different stuff. There's, so there's, if you look at the mythology, there's a lot of different types. So there's, there's actually a small village, you know, I don't actually remember the name of the village itself, but I'd gotten this troll book and there was this uh, whole section on these, uh, this village and they have these festivals and they celebrate these types of troll called the Perchton with a oh. CH. So I turned the, the C into an S because I think that's actually how it's pronounced. I think it's the Pershton, you know, I think that's how they pronounce it. So I just, I just literally lifted the name. And so I said, all right, well, troll is going to be like the, the bad word. Mm -hmm. now, that's what humans call them, but that's insulting. And they're going to have their own word, culture, all this stuff. And I wanted them to be very benign. So, you know, it's, it's trolls, but it's different. You know, there's, there's some different stuff. But there are references to trollish things in there. And they're there as prejudices, like, like the one where the the, the changeling, uh, mm -hmm. the myth of the changeling is a troll thing, where people believe that uh, you know trolls would come and take your baby out of its cradle, and uh, and replace it with an exact copy that was a troll baby, that was a, cha a changeling made to look like your original baby, and then that would get sick and die, and you'd think, oh my my baby just died, which happened a lot more often back then. And then secretly, your kid is being raised by trolls because they actually really like, they liked human babies. They 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 saw us as beautiful. Anyway, so there's like that turned into one line. I just there's one line in there where somebody says something about that, and it's like it's 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 insinuated that it's just a prejudice. It's not real. Right. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that that you know went into that. It's like, all right, well, I want to do fantasy type stuff, but I want to go back to the original, original, original myths and see maybe what hasn't been plundered yet. Well, that was refreshing because of, so you know, so much of it, yeah, some of it, it was either warmed over Tolkien for years, or worse, 
people who just read the Dungeons and Dragons books. Right. And you know, it's like, <laughs> hey Sheila, what was the name of that black albino you fought? He was kind of cute. Oh dear God, his name was Jimi Hendrix. I was watching it. That's not his name, you stupid slide. Sorry, guys. I'm a famous vocalist. I, sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. Okay, go on, go on. Sorry, I apologize. Continue. God, these mushrooms are kicking my ass. Yeah. So basically, it's like, do, do you copy the copy of a copy of a copy of a copy? Or do you copy the original? Has anybody seen Sheila? She left. Freebird! Oh, dear God, now we're getting Freebird. I'm sorry, I'm free sorry. Freebird! Okay. Oh. Um, we're talking about the trolls. Right. Yeah, we, we, yeah we've, we've finished that. We've moved way beyond trolls, man. Try to keep up. I am sorry. I was, getting, I, I was, I was banging Grace Slick. <laughs> <laughs> no, no argument there. No argument, my friend. <laughs> One of the things that uh, really struck me about it was how you did not select your characters from paperback fantasy central casting, starting with the hero, <laughs> who I think is very different for this kind of thing. Cool. And I'd like the fact that there is that Native American element in right. the way he's depicted. And I, I wish you'd talk a little bit about how that evolved, because as soon as I got a sense of who this guy was, I was gripped and really hoped he was going to be the hero because it was a very different way to approach it. Nice. Uh, well, I'm glad that resonated with you, honestly, Scott. Um, yeah, I, 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 obviously there's no, this is a fantasy world, so there's no actual America. He's not actually a Native American, but he is a First Nations. And uh, I want to continue with my novels and with my short stories, just, just really overall. With my main characters, I try to work in as much representation as humanly possible. And I, that's going to be something I'm always going to want to do. Uh, so, you know, my first two novels, I had uh, books about Africa starring Africans. You mentioned all the pulp stuff that used to reference Africa, but that was always like white man's Africa, you know, like, oh, the natives. And that is awful and insulting. And I wanted to correct that. So mm -hmm. have like, again, a little something familiar, but, you know, of course, correct that. And this, you know, it's like, well, you don't really have a lot of genre books starring Native Americans either. Um, so it just felt right. He's like a an outdoor sort of a culture. They they're like you know fishermen, but not really. They're you know different. He's a Blackfoot. It's specified in there that Blackfoot is not a tribe. It's it's what they colloquially will call his type of hunter. What they are, it's just a nickname that you know they're known by. But it's putting that in your head. You know you're mm -hmm. like oh Blackfoot. That's that's Native American tribe, and so. Yeah, he's described, you know, he's dark skinned and, you know, long black hair and stuff. And so, I mean, I don't know, he, he's a stoic character. It felt, all of it felt right. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it, it resonated and you felt like this isn't just a stock character you've seen a million times. And, uh, and, and the other thing, of course, is that his, uh, his motivations, which you haven't spoken of, but we can. I don't know if you're, you're dodging it, but we can, we can talk about that. Hang More on, hang on. I'm going to be a dick here since I haven't read it. And even though you just tortured the ever-living shit out of me. Yes. I'm willing yeah. to read it because I actually did like your, the, the one book of yours I read. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I would prefer that you don't go into too many spoilers because okay. I personally would like to experience this without too many. Without too many. Like I said, even though you hurt me, I will read it because I do thoroughly enjoy your writing style, well, you, you evil, evil rat fuck bastard. Now, I appreciate that. All of that. <laughs> 
as well you should. So don't go into too many spoilers, but do me a favor. If you would be so kind, what was the name of the book again? Mark of the Witchworm. Worm Worm spelled with a Y. I remember that. Yes. Ha 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 ha. So yes. here's uh-huh. here is what I am going to say, folks, because I am going to implore the I am going to invoke the almighty you. Um he's been on the show before. We mm-hmm. uh, Scott's read two books. I've read one book. This mm-hmm. guy is a great motherfucking writer. Go read his stuff. Just read his stuff. It's good stuff. If you're listening to us, you'll like him. If you haven't explored C. Van Sampson yet, just freaking do it, okay? And even (laughs) though he is an evil rat fuck bastard, he's a good writer. Mm -hmm. That is true. That is true. Humility. Thy name is Steve. You you say that like the two aren't usually correlated. <laughs> now, real fast, just because I, I want to engage in some part of this conversation after the the torture. Yes, we all watched a movie. We did. And Steve, you were the one who suggested this film, so so that's right. We're going old school, but we're trying to keep it in under three hours. That's that's how much we gotcha. love you, our audience. So, Steve, <laughs> what film did you pick for us to watch? I picked uh, Matango which is a 1963 Japanese horror film directed by the legendary Gojira director Ishiro Honda. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, now, now in full, full disclosure, um, I unfortunately yes. did not get to see the, the original, the subtitled version for, even though the credits on the Amazon Prime version are in the original language, the movie itself is actually dubbed. I believe the print that's on Amazon Prime is the the American release, which never received a theatrical release in this country. It was sold directly to television. And here it was titled Attack of the Mushroom People. Yes. And it's not a great dub. It's it's by far superior to, say, your average Sandy Frank film. Hell, it's better than your average K. Gordon Murray film. Yeah, it's not, it's not that bad. It's not it's that really bad, not but bad. it does have a lot of the same voices that crop up in all of the uh, dubbed Japanese movies from the mid '60s. So and it's a couple of the same actors. <clears throat> oh, many of the I'm same actors. Sure, I was going to say I'm pretty sure the lead dude has been in at least uh, one or two Godzilla films, if not more. Yes, he's he oh, he, he, he oh, was in yes. a number of yeah, kaiju he's films. Been in yes. Yeah, I thought we're talking about a Kira Kubo. I think so. Whoever played like the de facto lead, the the, the um, yeah, the guy, I, the, I, la- the, survivor. the last guy at the end. Yes, yes, I could. Yeah. I swore that I'd seen him in at least like three or four other movies. You, oh yeah, you definitely have. Yeah, he's he's been in he's been in lots of stuff, uh, as well as you know. I I mean the names even I got to look him up. But Hiroshi Koizumi is a dude who he was like the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. and he, oh him yes, he's been in like like so many Godzilla movies. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah, uh, he's in like all the Godzilla movies. It's, but yeah, there's tons of uh, you know. This is a who's who film. I mean, it was directed in the in the '60s when everything was just in full swing. You know, Ishiro Honda was making Godzilla films like they were going out of style, but he made a lot of stuff for Toho. So this is just right. like a different different type of movie in the sense that it's a horror movie. It's a straight horror movie. Now, whether or not you think it's effective, it is truly a a. a a movie that is trying to be unsettling and scary and uh it does get kind of dark you know and a lot of what you think of for that era of toho even when there's monsters it's not ever really scary like 
they don't even try to be you're not scared of Godzilla. No, usually no. when you see Godzilla, first of all, and, and part of this had to do with the miniatures, but but they're on extremely well lit sets for the most part. Yeah, I mean, sometimes true. sometimes you see attacks at night, but v very often it's in bright daylight. And when especially for the monster fights, there's no city. So there's no miniatures around them. They put them out in the countryside. There's they're standing in front of a big psych that's painted to look like the horizon and they have at it. So this film, this film just doesn't really feel like a, I mean, obviously it's not a kaiju film and it doesn't even really feel like a, like a tokatsu film. It doesn't even really feel like a heavy special effects laden opus, largely because of how much adult human drama there is. I mean, right. ordinarily in the monster movies, and not just because they, they realized that kids were their bread and butter. And so they started shoehorning children into that genre. It's the fact that it's it's a very adult story. I mean, there's backbiting, there's people cheating on one another, there's illicit sex, there's greed, there's jealousy. There's all these emotions that you don't ordinarily see in the, the white glove types. There are song lyrics, there are song lyrics that rival Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, let's get to that. Uh, let's 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 <laughs> let's get to that because I, I first of all the the one thing I want to say about this film especially in the beginning when you see like you know the yellow rain slickers and the stuff they're wearing on the boat it's a little pop arty it's 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 got some some splashy colors which I think is foreshadowing because the mushrooms we later meet are also extraordinarily colorful in ways that mushrooms usually aren't but it's a very sixties movie and should perhaps have been titled Matango Agogo but. Nobody listens to me. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this or not. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but um, back in the day, Steve Allen, who, as we know from MST3K, invented everything, used to go on The Tonight Show and do dramatic readings of song lyrics. Mm -hmm. um, the one that I remember specifically was hot, uh, Donna Summer's Hot Stuff. All right. Which made me laugh hysterically. If you don't mind, um, I would like to do... My dramatic interpretation of one of the greatest songs ever written. Please do. Okay. This is in the tango, otherwise known as Attack of the Mushroom People. It's early on in the film. And this song's lyrics hit me so strongly. I, I, I have to do this dramatic reading. And uh, thank you. Give me a second here. I'm, I, I, an actor must prepare. <sighs> red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Okay. La la. La 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 la. La 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 la. La la la. La la. Wow. What makes that so powerful in the context of the film is it, very early on, it's hard to keep track of all the characters and the individual personalities, which is presumably why the director didn't bother doing it either. But what, one character stands out really early on, and that's Mimi, who another character notes is, quote, Radio and television's first lady of song. Yes. Mimi endears herself to the audience by getting up on this yacht that they're all on and decides to favor us with a ballad as she wanders around the boat. Now, the title of the tune appears to be La 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 La. And the lyrics consist of, as Jeff so movingly performed, La 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 La. I'm personally it's guessing. Song. Yeah, I'm, song. I'm guessing she might be the second lady of song. But the first lady of faking it because you blew off rehearsal. <laughs> and what's really funny, I, the first time I actually saw that scene. Now, full disclosure, the last time I saw this movie was in roughly 1978. Wow. 
I saw it on a matinee on a TV station in Daytona Beach, Florida when I was living down there. But that song has been in my head for years because of a movie. Hmm. And it was not Matango. Do either of you happen to know the movie? Here's a piece of trivia for you. No. No. Remember the movie? It came from Hollywood. Oh, vaguely, yeah. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Gilda Radner, Cheech and Chong, basically. It was based on Michael Medved, the Medved Brothers, the worst movies in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But one of the scenes, they talk about musical numbers in movies, and that song is in it. <laughs> well, deservedly so. Okay. All right. It's, it's, it's an earworm. There's, there's no getting around it. I mean, really, fuck Washington on your side. La, 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 la is just, that, that's just, it, it speaks to me, man. It speaks to me. It, it's so it's that, fiendish. That, that, that's an earworm spelled with a Y. <laughs> oh, oh, I like, I like Very that. Very nice. So, Jeff, you've, you've seen the movie prior to uh, As a child, this yes. time. So, Scott, have you seen this movie? No, before? here's the thing. I started watching it. Oh, how, how old was I? I was in single digits, close okay. to 10 maybe, but not there. And I remember catching the end of this movie or toward the end of it. And at the time, I, one of our local stations would show one movie. They'd show the same movie five times in a row. Okay. One night every week. And uh, there were some that I that for some reason I just never missed. Like my sister and I developed a fascination for the movie Voyage into Space, which was just a bunch of edited together episodes of Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. I don't oh. know why that, th- we knew it was terrible, but we delighted in its terribleness. This had a different effect. I caught the end of it and I go, I have to know what's going on here. Because it was just everyone going through the jungle to their doom toward the end. Yeah, And I didn't even get to the final shot when the guy turns toward the camera and he's in the hospital. I didn't yeah. even get that far. And then the next night when I was going to watch it again, I thought... No, this is a bad idea. This is going to give me nightmares. And I don't know what it was in what I saw that made me think that, but the movie yeah. kind of scared me. So when you suggested Batango, I almost said, oh, I don't want to watch Batango. And they go, good God, I'm not, I'm not eight years old. Watch Batango, you'll be fine. But, <laughs> but it did give me a little bit of pause. And when I saw it again, I got to say that it's, it's the only Japanese horror movie that has ever really made me queasy and uneasy. It is a little bit singular in that it's very unsettling and there are like the big cheesy costumes. And I think that, you know, a modern audience, if you just saw like a picture of the mushroom costume or whatever, you might be like, oh, my God, this is so silly. But the way that it's presented in the movie, it is a slow march of doom. So you really, you know, you you can't turn back. It's it's just you're slowly marching towards the end and it's going to be bad. And they tell you every step of the way it's going to be bad and there's nothing that's going to save these people and it's going to be bad. And then it is. And, um, and you know, so it just gets worse and worse. So like that for me, the, the scene that makes the movie that like the first time I saw the movie, I've seen this movie probably, I don't know, maybe like four or five times. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw it was maybe, maybe a decade ago. I just, I just really like this movie. So I love Japanese. I love I love Toho like so much. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, I, so anyway, so this one does stand up. <clears throat> so first time I saw it, like the scene 
that really made me like because you know I'm watching it with friends and we're all watching bad movies and we're like oh we did a, we did a Toho theme and we're, we watched like this and I think we watched the Mysterians and uh, Varen the Unbelievable and, mm. and and stuff and and we got to this and it's like oh we're just kind of talking we're not really paying attention but the scene that made us all shut up and and watch was when they're on the boat and it's the first time you see that there's something out there. And uh, it's like a partially transformed man, presumably from okay. another shipwreck, who who comes on, and they really play it close to the chest with revealing what he looks like. And yep. at least in the American dubbed, the English dubbed cut that's on Prime, because I I have seen the original, hmm. and I feel like they showed it longer in the original, but I I haven't been able to go back and check it. My my brother has the DVD. Of the original, oh, wow. and uh, I really would like to. Yeah, it was it was a bunch of Toho stuff was in print about uh, eight to ten years ago, like a ton of stuff, and it's all just out of print now. And we scooped up a ton of it because it wasn't. It, we just kind of had a feeling, but anyway. So uh, yeah, I feel like it hung on that uh, makeup a little bit longer, but uh, you can look it up. Actually, if you go to IMDb and look up Matango, some of the images, uh, two of them are of this first guy that you see. And he just sort of looks like a zombie, but like half the top half of his head is just pustules. And it's like your body grows into these just fungal nodes. And it is deeply unsettling. The, the makeup, to look at this, I'm looking at it right now, like it is deeply unsettling. And there's always been something, I think, about when you lose your humanity. Just, you know, like a werewolf movie. American Werewolf in London is a great example. A werewolf movie where it's like they don't get cured. You know, it, it's a bad end. And uh, this is very much that. It's like, nope, there's... And, and it's a gleeful willingness to give away your, your humanity because it's this battle of starvation that you cannot possibly fight forever. And all it takes is one bite of those mushrooms and it's all over. Because clearly eating these mushrooms is the most euphoric, wonderful experience and you just don't give a shit that you're turning into a big fucking mushroom. That's an interesting point. And I want to get to that a little bit later because the, the movie addresses it. And I was very impressed that it did, given given when it was made. But it's ironic to me that the Japanese cut shows the creature in greater detail and a greater length because it was the Japanese film censors who wanted to snip a lot of that footage because there was a feeling that the makeup effects were too reminiscent of the radiation burns and deformities that people who were exposed to the atomic bomb in Hiroshima and Nagasaki suffered. And they thought it was worse than bad taste. But, I mean, it is sort of an allegory for how we are kind of in love with death. And I think Honda was going for something a little bit more ambitious. I mean, Godzilla is obviously an allegory about atomic weapons. Yeah, the first one is just poignant as all get out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's like poetry. The first one. Yeah. They got cheesy real fast. As soon as they saw where the, the, the real money was in kids. Yeah, well, exactly. But the first one is, is very I mean, somber. Honda did them all. Yeah. He also, like you, has range. Which is something that really impressed me about this movie because he, he's a he's a terrific director. He's very assured, but he has no problem going goofy. And most of his stuff was lighthearted, and there wasn't a lot of dread in his movies. There were scary parts, but right, there totally. were there were parts that elicited the kind of screams you'd hear from kids on a on a roller coaster. You know, fun scares. But this movie has no fun scares at all. It's got scares, no. but they all just make you feel ill. Well, let's give people yeah. a little bit of. Um, a little bit of information on the story before we go further, because I'm sure everyone's very confused. The movie starts off on a yacht. There's a bunch of rich people who the skipper calls parasites. 
so I'm already on his side. And there's a rich guy. I mean, who, he's the best. He's the best character by far. Oh yeah, so a rich guy who who owns the yacht and has brought a bunch of people on. As I think, Greg. At first, you wonder why he bothered, but I think it was because he's he's trying to create plausible deniability for the affair he's having with Mimi, the first lady of song. Uh, <laughs> but it it doesn't really matter. But it's just it's one of those things that stands out because you don't see that in Gambara or Godzilla. No, nobody's having illicit affairs. But anyway, so inevitably the weather starts getting rough. The tiny ship is tossed. And thanks to exposition during the storm, we learn that Kenji Murai, who is a professor of psychology, he's one of the characters who was brought along. Another is Yoshida, who is a famous mystery writer. And instantly, the most annoying character in the movie. Instantly. Yep. Here's a little note for our listeners, in case you ever find, after watching a lousy movie, that you hate the screenwriter and feel like, you know, he should die. Don't don't even bother. The screenwriter got there first with self-hatred. <laughs> so that the ship sustains terrible damage during the storm. They wash up on an uncharted desert isle, um, although it's more of a jungle isle. And in fact, it's, it may not be uncharted because the skipper says, I think this is one of the Bonin Islands. So it's either on the map or it's his way of subtly suggesting an orgy after the clam bake. Uh, I looked at the Bonin Isles. They actually exist. I don't know if they're a good spot for an orgy. Um <laughs> There's never a bad spot for an orgy, Scott. Uh, well, I don't know. Someplace where there's prickly pear. That's not good. Okay, point taken. All right. Then the film <laughs> treats us to some walking scenes. And one of the sailors decides to climb up a steep hill in search of water. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. But as I remember my Boy Scout handbook, in a jungle setting, you're supposed to walk downhill if you're looking for water. Oh, Bill- I don't know. I'm, I'm neither a hunter nor a gatherer. Ah, uh, okay. Oh. Well, it's, I don't prep the doom. It, it's it's not to build a fire. It doesn't really matter. Okay. But uh, anyway, if I was looking to learn how to survive on an island inhabited by mutagenic mushrooms, I'm sure there's a YouTube tutorial. But There wasn't in 1964, Scott. Good point. Good point. So basically, I feel bad for all the kids in 1964 who saw this and got bad water-finding information. Yeah. <laughs> They're the they, real victims here. But they do find water at the top of this hill, oddly enough. They also find a small dam made of stones, indicating the presence of other humans or possibly Paleolithic beavers. We don't know. Or possibly giant mushroom people. Possibly that. Pressing Ooh. on, they find evidence that someone has cut a trail. And uh, then just to be mean, Honda makes them climb a really steep map painting. But as a reward, they find an old shipwreck on the other side. And and uh, this is how you know it's the early 60s. The men immediately tell the gals to cop a squat on the beach, and they'll go inside. And they do. They go inside. They admire all the weird mold growing over the decks and the bulkheads. So this is like 26 minutes into the film, and there's a fungus among us. So that's just yep. pretty That's pretty efficient filmmaking. Kudos. Yeah, not bad. But it's amazing what a slow burn this movie is. Yeah, it and spends I, a lot of time showing you exactly how unlikable these characters are. It does. Oh, yeah. Now, did it remind you guys at all? I, see, it sort of strikes me as the Japanese giallo film. Like, it's it's almost like you hate everybody, and it's going to end terrible. And I don't know. It's slow. <laughs> it's, it's just me. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, no, I actually no. I gotta say, I, like I said, I mean, about a half hour into the film, I'm sitting there going, I don't like any of these people. I don't care about what happens to them. But then, right, I couldn't stop watching. At yeah. no point did I want to turn the film off. So I mean, right. this is this is, and like I said, normally when the entire cast is full of assholes, I tend to zone out. But I mean, again, 
when you've got a master as, 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 as directing it, it you know it's i i was totally on board with this film i don't know why i wasn't I, sitting there going come on somebody transform into a mushroom already jeez but yeah, I wasn't, I, not at all i wasn't I, and i think it's because there was something about the tone that made me know no matter what they were going to get theirs so right. i should just right. I should just enjoy that. But I didn't hate everybody. I mean, I didn't hate Mimi immediately. She was just, you know, she was looking to get uh, get a free trip to Paris on the yacht. So she was banging this dude who she clearly doesn't think that much about. I didn't mind Mirai, the psychology professor, although why he was part of this group was never really clear. I mean, the writer, you see them socializing in flashbacks. So you kind of got to say, oh, yeah, writers and rich guys, they, they tend to... You know, it's just that sort of patron fixation. But the the tone shifts again when they discover the shipwreck, and particularly when they sh- discover the ship's laboratory, which is the one spot that is not colonized by fungus. And you immediately wonder why. And there's a Geiger counter. There's a, le- a, a bunch of scientific equipment that suggests the ship was somewhere in the South Pacific to measure radiation or to observe an atmospheric nuclear test. So... They are pushing that element pretty hard. And I'm sure as soon as they said something like radiation or atomic fission or whatever they say, the Japanese audience got their gorge cinched up real tight, knowing where it was going to go. It's done subtly enough. They don't make a big deal of it. Like in an American movie of the same era, they went, oh, my God, they were looking into radiation. There would have been everything short of an organ sting. And here it's just like, oh, they're probably doing research. Is there something to eat? They're more concerned with survival than in exposition, which I, I liked. Yeah. And it made yeah. me believe in them more because it's like they're on task the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big example, a great example of, you know, show, don't tell. N- there's never any exposition dumps where, you know, they, they explain everything that went on before and everything that led to this. And it's it's really just, you know, well, these people wouldn't really know. There would be no great way to find out what the hell happened or they try to piece it together for a while, but then it just sort of becomes, well, uh, we don't really care that much because, oh, yeah, we're all going to die of starvation anyway. So they just turn on each other. And, and, and you know, we're talking about how nobody's likable earlier, or Jeff was. But, like, it, it, I think it's super fun that they're all, well, not, all, like you said, not they're not all detestable, but no. most of them are. And, uh, you know, they, they all know, like, we see it, but they all see it, too. And mm-hmm. they see it in each other. Like, nobody likes each other, especially yeah. as it goes on. And that's why I love that the skipper just pieces out. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. fuck all of you. Yeah. <laughs> he just fucking leaves. I mean, he's going he's gonna to try to save them. He's going to get you help. Know, but he's like, uh, He is up to here with their bullshit, and he's not going to take it. Yeah, he's done. He's like, he's like so past done. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just so, so great. But um, so I, I think that that's that sort of makes it a little bit more palatable that like the other characters clearly see all the stuff that we're seeing. They just don't see it in themselves. And then the the main guy, Akira Kubo, who who ends up uh, surviving to the end, he's just the least interesting because they don't really give him a lot to do. So the fact that he turns into the, like the final girl is sort of like just so random, but Mm -hmm. I also like that. I like that he wasn't like the obvious choice to be a survivor. You know, I thought for sure, her, her character name is Mamie, not Mimi, but whatever. Uh, Kumi Mizuno, who is just gorgeous. And uh, I always notice in everything that she's in, she's in War of the Gargantuas and, and um, All right. know, lots of other stuff. She, uh, she's also in um, Abira, Horror of the Deep, where 
Godzilla and Mothra fought a lobster. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big lobster. But anyway, um, she, to me, tallish. felt more like maybe she'll turn around and be like a three-dimensional character and kind of learn and grow. And she's the, the beautiful, what? no, no, you know. So it's like, it, I love that it's just some random cast member that ends up being the survivor. It's yeah. great. Speaking of showing and not telling, again, this is stuff that I think would have gotten explained to death in an American movie of the same era, where you would have had some you know, scientist in a Absolutely. box suit reading everyone the riot act. But here they just, they just notice that the lab is the one place in the ship that's not colonized by fungus. And they, f- they find some cleaning products and they realize chemicals kill the mold. And that's like, it's not, a, it's not a huge leap. It's like anyone who stumbled in there would have said, oh, what's different? Oh, maybe sure. it's maybe it's the formula four oh nine. Meanwhile the scrubbing bubbles. The girls disobey the men and climb aboard, where the two of them go to the bathroom together. Typical. And uh here's an interesting element. Find that all the mirrors have been taken down. Which is pretty subtle foreshadowing, and I have to give the writer yeah. credit because now it will all yeah. pay off at the end of the film when they come upon some Jews sitting Shiva. <laughs> or not. Or not. But it's yeah. a clue. It's a clue. It's not only it's a clue, it's, it's interesting to think about because you're like, well, at the end of the film, it really feels like they're just 100% taken over. And I get the idea that they probably wouldn't give a shit if they saw themselves in the mirror and they looked half mushroom. But that sort of makes you question that. Mm-hmm. The fact that they took all the mirrors down makes you think, well, maybe they're more aware than it seems, but they're out in the jungle and they just don't even notice that they're, they're changing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just literally are so drugged up because there's clearly a, a euphoric component, right? You know, when they're eating these things, it feels really good. Not just the fact that they're eating, but clearly there's something else too. So, you know, it's like maybe they don't even notice so far gone that there's no human left. I don't know. Well, what, what made it interesting to me was that they're, they're, they are a random group. I mean, the psychology professor gets called upon to make all the scientific breakthroughs. He's probably got no more scientific education than I do. But, you know, he's he's a professor. So it made me wonder about the research vessels crew, whether whether they realized quicker what was going on and fought it harder. Mm. And if they were not starving to death, but they were, you know, somebody brought in the mold, brought in the, the mushroom and said, hey, we can stretch mm-hmm. our rations with this. And then mm-hmm. it started, and some were fighting back. But it's another one of those things that could mean nothing, but it just, oh, they smashed all the mirrors. It just makes you uneasy. This movie spends a Absolutely. lot of time making me uneasy. It yeah. does. And speaking of contemptible characters, you've got the writer, uh, you've got the uh, annoying rich guy, and there's this sailor, one of the sailors from the yacht, who we're supposed to know immediately is untrustworthy because he always wears sunglasses. Yes. Even at uh, night, like Corey Hart. Yes. And, yes. Just and like so Corey. he can keep track of the visions in his dreams. Exactly. And if you look at a bunch of Japanese <laughs> movies from the end, television series from that era, even the 70s, the guy who wouldn't take off his sunglasses was almost either a secret alien or he was up to no good. But that's just one of those Japanese tropes. <laughs> You're right. He's a, a secret alien is, is so true. <laughs> so but it looks like things have taken a turn for our terrible cast. And they move into the cleaned up shipwreck. The Formula 409 worked great. And they start assigning jobs. Uh, This is the one that got me. The women will carry the water, of course. Oh, really? Like, that's not that's not taxing. Just look to the the Zodiac, man. 
Virgo isn't a dude. Wait, no, Aquarius. Aquarius. Oh, Aquarius is usually just. It's yeah, it's a chick, mm-hmm. right? I think so. I think so. I think it, this is the, that was that was Honda's reference to uh, the American Zodiac. Is it American? Where do we get the Zodiac from? Uh, I oh don't... man, I'm I'm really showing my not smartness right now. <laughs> just ignore everything I said for the last minute and a half. We'll cut this part out. We'll just uh... cut this part out. <laughs> Um, we're leaving it. It's fine. Aquarius is good. Wait, okay. what did you say? It's the age. Of, we're talking about the age of Aquarius. Oh, okay. All right. All right. No, I don't, 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 don't. Let's not start the whole the whole rock concert thing again. <laughs> okay. So well, I, I actually, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, 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 I hate to be a dick, but I really don't. Considering the first half of this show, mm-hmm. but this this guy that looked like Owen Wilson just came up to me and said, "Move it along." So um, I think we need to get to the um, fascinating, irritating. Okay. So I actually will 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 start this. Yeah, he's 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 giving me the he's giving me the stink guy. You really should talk to your boss, man. All right. Short version. Fascinating for me was the fact that, in spite of the fact that I really didn't like any of the characters, I was kind of obsessed with this movie. I mean, I started watching and I was kind of like lying down, and like I said, about halfway through, I was I sat up and I was into it the entire movie. I did not think this movie would grab me as much as it did. Um, irritating thing: the song just took me out of the whole beginning. <laughs> I made a joke, but I freaking hated la 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 la. <laughs> And seeing it in context, I mean, I laughed during, um, you know, watching it and it came from Hollywood, but actually seeing it in the actual movie, that just took me out. And I'm like, okay, move on, move on. She's still law-lying. Why isn't she moving on? She's still law-lying. God damn it. Sorry. Moving on. Go on. So, Steve, what was your most fascinating and your most irritating takeaway from the movie? I mean, I think that uh, the fascinating part is just kind of what I said earlier, where this is a uh, it's a Toho movie from the 60s that tries to be actually pure horror mm-hmm. and succeeds. I think that that's it makes it stand out in the pantheon of Hondo movies and of Toho movies and uh, Honda movies. I said his name wrong. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, irritating. Ah, again, it's it just you know the characters were not super likable. There isn't really anyone that you're kind of rooting for. But you know, then again, people suck sometimes. So you know, <laughs> it feel it, it sort of it sort of makes it feel a little real too. I mean, the fact that nobody's perfect, I guess. But I'll I'll, I'll call that as my as my irritating. Fascinating for me. Well, maybe the first lady of humming. Is is kind of depicted as evil, and, and I mean from the very beginning, from her makeup to her sexual politics, because uh, she's apparently the mistress of the rich guy who owns the boat, and he organized this travel group, as I said, just to provide cover for their affair. Akiko, I think, is the, the Akiko, yes, is the the young woman, the the uh, psychology professor's student. She's depicted as young, dewy, virginal, and pure. But she's a huge wet blanket in the jungle. She's whining. She's whimpering. While Mamie hikes along, you know, making helpful suggestions and generally not being a huge load. So Mm. I found that intriguing because I I thought she was going to go one way and then she went another. And then she went yet another at the end when she sort of becomes like the mushrooms Vanna White. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She introduces the final girl and his girl to the mushrooms. And the thing I love about this movie made in 1963 is that they are acknowledging that the mushrooms are psychoactive, that once you eat them, you become high as fuck. Yeah. 
And from then on, the movie gets a pass on every stupid, irrational decision the characters make. You know, there's always that moment in a horror movie where it goes, you know, you could just leave. If you just left now, everything would be fine. You know, if, if you just like started the car but didn't flood it because you're a panicky ditz, everything would be fine. But there is the sense that once they eat the mushrooms, they, they never go back, whether because they can't, because they, the transformation is, is inevitable, or because they're high as fuck and don't care. So I'd like that. I'd Also, I'd liked the fact that the very end, when you've got the rich guy, and he's kind of running through the jungle. He finds himself surrounded by huge humanoid mushrooms. I mean, they're okay. They're, who are, a, who are chuckling? Who are chuckling, yeah. I mean, the costumes are, they're, they're fine. They're not great, but they're fine. But the cool thing is, because he's high as fuck, we don't know if he's finally found the monsters that the title has been promising from the very beginning, or if he's hallucinating. And since he can't figure it out either, mm-hmm. he decides to just sit down, you know, listen to some Almond Brothers, drink a beer, and let his bad trip pass. Irritating? There's nothing really that irritates me about this movie, oddly enough. Everything everything about it, whether I agree with it or not, is a stylistic choice that I think is completely defensible. The very slow burn is is something that I criticize modern horror movies for not having. You know, you've got to get right to the jump scare. You've got to get right to the monster. You've got this, that, or the other thing. And Honda is in no hurry. He's taking his time. He's slowly tightening the screws and... For myself, I was feeling it. And the characters, while contemptible, are interesting and human. They actually seem like people way more than the characters in monster movies usually do. And as you pointed out, the one character who gets to survive because he doesn't, he is the least selfish or obnoxious or. Right. He's also the most boring. Yeah. I don't hate him, but. I don't hate him, but it's like. There's nothing there. If you wonder why girls always go for the bad boys, because they're more interesting. Because milk toast just isn't, isn't that sexy. Real quick, I have one more fascinating that I thought Mm -hmm. of as you were talking, basically. I really like how, if you think of it, you know, we're watching this movie as the audience. We're like, oh, don't eat the mushrooms. Mushrooms bad. You turn into mushroom people. We don't want that. That's bad. Right. But if you look at it on the other side, it's like, well, the people who have, you know, drank the Kool-Aids, as it were, they're like, they have solved the problem of being hungry. And they say it. They're like, we'll never be hungry again. So it's like, well, this is not an ideal solution to our problem per se, but guess what? It may be the best solution to this problem. It may oh, actually it's... be the only way you survive. So as as much of a bummer as it would be to turn into a mushroom person, uh, they seem kind of jolly. Um, they, they're chuckling. You know, I mean, I think that that's kind of interesting, too. The thought of, well, it's horrible, it's unthinkable, but maybe it truly is the only way to survive. And it is the best choice in this, in this terrible situation. And that leads to the most chilling moment for me. We find out that he's in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. Mirai. He's been telling the story to doctors or reporters, whoever they are. And he turns around and half his face is those god-awful pustules. But the scary thing isn't the makeup. It's him saying, I was cowardly. It was cowardly to escape and leave Akiko. They were getting together in a way that the professor and Marianne never did. Mm-hmm. But she ate the mushrooms and he left her there. And he doesn't feel bad that he didn't bring her with him because to him, looking out the window at Tokyo, this is just another kind of jungle. But here he is truly alone. If he had stayed with the others, and especially with right. her, and he'd eaten the mushroom, he goes, at least I wouldn't be alone. Right. And it's just like, God, that's all you have now is regret and a face that's going to make sure you stay alone for the rest of your life. Right. And 
that's what's so disturbing about the movie. It's not what happened to them. It's the way it happened to them and what the implications are for humanity. You know, because you can argue that they're a lot better off than the atomic researchers who basically brought this on themselves. Yes, exactly. And that informs my point quite well, I think. That was the best decision. And in a way, they're, they're, they're better off. They're happy. They're not themselves. They're somebody new. Mm-hmm. They're not human. But, you know, it's interesting. Anyway. Matango! It's interesting that, that when the word appears in the movie, it's written in English. Yeah. Because if anything hinky is going on in relation to atomic radiation, you know the Americans are involved. If it's a Japanese movie. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. We're always the bad guys. Understandably. Understandably. Can't, can't really argue that. Okay, well, before we go, I'd like to remind everybody who doesn't know that Steve is a part of the Retro Redoctopus podcast, and you are very likely to enjoy that. Where can people find you and your books online? Uh, you can find me lurking around the Book of Face or the Twitter sphere. If you look up Steve Van Sampson, the last name is S A M. S-O-N. There is no P in Samson. And if you are interested in Mark of the Witch Worm, my new book, you can go to Amazon, you can go to various places, but I recommend you go through the publisher, which is roughhousepublishing.com. It is uh, actually the only place where you can find the limited edition, hardcover edition of the book, which is pretty sick. It's got a totally different cover, and it comes with a ton of extras like stickers, a double-sided poster, uh, one side of which has art by comic book artist Derek Rook, oh. and um, it uh, it also comes with a cool enamel pin, and you also get the audiobook. So if you guys are interested in audiobooks, you like audiobooks, and you're an Audible fan, that's another place you can go grab it, actually. Uh, you can just, I'm on Audible, and if you, you know, aren't totally sick of hearing me talk after this insane crazy podcast that we just did i do actually all the narration for the audiobook i recorded it myself and i'm pretty proud of it it's pretty cool it is pretty cool it's well done good job thanks uh so yeah uh mark of the witch worm check it out if you're into fantasy dark fantasy you like your your sword and sorcery uh you know a little bit more grounded and this is a book i won't give it away jeff but it's, it's a book where the driving force is of the heart. This is uh, not a man who's trying to save the world. He's trying to save his world, his mm-hmm. little world. So take that as you, as you will. But it's a little bit different. I really liked the fact that the quest is not for revenge, that what sets the hero off on a quest is it's a noble, heartbreaking cause, and there is a ticking clock attached to it, which... Again, you don't find very often in this genre, and it gives the story enormous propulsive forward momentum, which I really liked. I mean, not to say someone isn't looking for revenge. I don't want to get into too many details. There is Mm -hmm. some revenge seeking going on. But Mm -hmm. the story in itself, the stakes are very, very human in a way fantasy novels often aren't, which is, I think, what I was getting at when I said it has a contemporary feel to it. Okay. Not in the trappings, but in the stakes and what the book is asking us to care about. Personally, I found those things very easy to care about. Awesome. Well, that's great to hear. Fantasy, the, the main word that always gets attached is epic. The thing with fantasy is you always go big, bigger, bigger, bigger. And I just want it to go small. So I have a small cast and I have small stakes for the world. This character and these characters, if they fail in what they're going to do, what they're trying to do, which is the most important thing in the entire universe to them, 
the world at large is not going to notice. It right. doesn't matter. There's no evil king to overthrow or dragon to slay or, you know, I mean, there sort of is actually, yeah. but a dragon to slay but there's no there's no like big effect to the world uh at least not as far as the main character goes you know that's fascinating uh, because i didn't even notice that i did not notice that because the stakes were very important to me as a reader yeah uh, but when you put it that way it's like yeah but you know what i'm not reading for the world i don't give a shit right. what happens in the fantasy world i give a shit what happens to these characters right so right. That's the idea. Well, I'm, I'm happy. It, I'm happy to, you know, it worked for you. That's awesome. And thank you so much for having me on the show again. This was fun. I know we kind of, you know, threw a crazy monkey wrench at you, Scott, and uh, you weren't ready for it. But, you know, we just, you know, we, we thought it'd be kind of funny to torture you. Amusing so. to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, great. and hopefully the listening audience at large. I mean, hopefully. Sure. But who knows about those weirdos? Yeah. I, I've noticed, however, that as we've gotten to the apology part of the show, Jeff has slunk off. So uh, on that note... I regret nothing. I regret nothing. <laughs> On that note, thank you very much to Steve and Samson for joining us for this episode. Please check out his books. You will enjoy them. If you like this mess, you'll definitely like his mess. And I probably could have put that in a better way, but no, I like it. No, I keep, keep it. Okay. Do not cut that. All right. And until later. so grumpy about anyway you're standing on my samovlange sorry boom and we're out perfect all right <laughs> Woo! what a what a night <laughs> <laughs> oh what a night yeah hey that's hey that's how that song goes oh what a night late september back in 63 what do you yes they were there is it's about matango <laughs> i thought it was about a Guy losing his virginity. Man, I am so naive. It's about him losing his being a person. Ah, he lost his human hymen. Yes, his human hymen. Oh, boy. That sounds like a metal band. 